and you definitely have the ability to run towards the answer. Am I diabetic or am I so-and-so who has diabetes? And you definitely can run in a positive direction and make and feel free from, from this condition or any condition. Mm-hmm. And it takes work and takes effort, but um, you don't have to feel trapped. following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up everyone and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. Hello, Diabuddies. Welcome back to another podcast from the Diabuddies. Yes, welcome, welcome. Uh, and I'm going to, I don't know what you're about to say next, Grady, but I'm just going to jump right in and say, my man, my beta cells were bursted just yesterday. Oh, yeah? And, uh, oh, yeah. So um, I had a lot of frustrations with my G670 pump in my sensor or the Guardian part of it. And because it came to every couple of weeks, I like to download my information, my pump, mm-hmm. so I can analyze it and like change my basal rates or whatever. And how you do that is you connect your meter and then the meter then goes as acts as a USB, right? Yeah. Well, on my list of devices, there was like the meter number, like serial number. And then there was a second serial number. I was like, why is this here? This is yeah. like, I'm going to delete this. Oh and, gosh. And it was the sensor uh, serial number that's connecting via Bluetooth. And this was on a Sunday and my seven days were up on, Tuesday, like this coming Tuesday. So I had five, I was only in my like new sensor five days. And it just, after deleting that, there was no going back. <laughs> and so that I had to, I was just so frustrated because I wanted, I didn't want to have to change my sensor and, and then waste money and re- waste resources. And now I need to call Medtronic and, you know, get replacements. Cause then I put one in, I was like, I finally accepted. Okay. I need to take this off. I need to like connect it again and to take, that's how you, I had to take it off to see the serial number to connect it. So took it off, tried connecting it, put it back in and then it really wasn't connecting. And then I did this whole two hours of warming up because for anyone who doesn't know, there's often a warm up period with these CGMs. Yep. And after like two hours plus of charging it and then warming up and it's just like, wasn't connecting. And it was like oh, change sensor. Man. And so I had to change it a second time the same Dang. day. And so I yeah. went like, you know, six hours on this like frustrated speech spiel of like me trying to do my other stuff and like having to spend, you know, 15 minutes at a time, 20, 30 minutes at a time, like redoing this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I was, I was very aggravated um, within now it's on my to-do list to try to find time to call Medtronic and, and to replace the resources that were unnecessarily utilized. 
So uh, <laughs> my beta cells were bursting yesterday yeah. as I was trying to get stuff done. Yeah, I had some beta cells bursting as well this weekend. I uh, and also the frustrations of wasting resources. I mm-hmm. uh, was going to coach a wrestling tournament in Kansas City, and I was also planning on after the tournament going to Nebraska, which is where I'm from, and picking up some furniture. And so in my mind, I had two separate things going on. I was going to this wrestling tournament, which is only we were going to be spending the night, uh, one night, and then when we'd be be back. But then also in my head, I'm like, okay, we're going, I'm going to Nebraska and coming, coming right back. And, you know, I'm just picking up furniture and coming right back. And so my brain, yes. And so my brain did not register that I was going to be away for a extended amount of time. And so I didn't even think about checking how much insulin I had left in my pump. And on top of that, I didn't think about packing extra supplies, Uh specifically insulin. Uh Oh, that's not good. I don't (laughs) know. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. So I I think on Friday night, I got an alert that I had like 20 units left. Mm -hmm. And I think if I would have, my brain would have caught on at that point, I could have salvaged the weekend, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. I just like, oh, it's just another warning. You don't have to change it soon. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're human. Your brain was elsewhere. Exactly. I I was focused on coaching and all these Mm -hmm. things. And anyways, so... I leave the tournament on Saturday and I get an alert. So I added a little bit of snack before I left and I get an alert right then that I have zero units left in my pump. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh crap, this is not good. I can't really salvage this too much. Now, knowing that Medtronic gives you a grace uh, grace amount Um, so when it says you have nothing left you really do have some left and now i don't know exactly how much that is i depend like i've i've extended it a fair amount and i'm guessing there's about 10 units um interesting yeah so i do air bubbles or something i'm sure that's even less yeah so i knew i had some left and i'm doing the calculations in my head on the drive home and I'm like, okay, I, if I fasted from now until I got home the next day, because it, it would be like probably a little over 24 hours before I would be able to get home mm-hmm. and get my insulin. So I was thinking, this is not going to work. No. Like, even if I fasted and didn't eat anything, I would I, like at certain points in my life, you know, 10 units would, would, could last me two days, but not right now. Like I'm not mm-hmm. doing any intermittent fasting or super high volume exercise, stuff like that. So it's not going to last me very long. So can you real fast explain, you almost use this as a teaching moment, why even while you're fasting, even while you're not eating, why you need insulin? Like what's going on from a, a quick physiology point of view? Yeah. So even though you're not taking in insulin or taking in glucose, your body is still 
releasing glucose into the uh, bloodstream. And it does that um, through the glycogen stores, which we've talked about. So the liver stores glycogen and glycogen is just a big storage of glucose. And so in states of, uh, in states where you haven't had food in a while, your body will start to break down that glycogen to then release sugar into the bloodstream. That way it stays up. And so you still need insulin to get that sugar into the bloodstream. Sure. Sure. And the more you're stressed and have other hormones circulating around is going to definitely then change the effect or, and how much of that glycogen gets breaking down into glucose in your blood at that time. Mm -hmm. So you're still, even that you're going to fast at this point, you know, you're not going to, it's you're not going to make your blood sugar is going to go up. even yep. without insulin. Yep. So I'm like, all right, so I know I'm not going to make it. So how, how long can I make it? And then how high might my blood sugar raise? Like, can I risk going that long? Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm thinking about your story about the squatting. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to get that high. So, oh man, that was awful. <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, all right, what can I do? Like, how much is this going to cost me if I go into a, you know, pharmacy and, mm-hmm. and get some insulin? And then that's when it popped in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a cousin who's a pharmacist. Oh. So I texted her and said, like, you know, what's your cheapest insulin? Like, you know, how, how bad is this going to be? Because uh, I told her, you know, I didn't have any insulin. And so she gave me some options. Um, if people aren't familiar with GoodRx, um, GoodRx is a, an app that gives you coupons, so it makes your prescriptions cheaper. Um, so she gave me some options through that, and then um, her husband is an MD, and so he's mm-hmm. my doctor. So he actually called in the prescription for me. Perfect at the Walgreens, and nice. um, so I I was like, okay, this isn't going to be so bad, especially with the GoodRx coupon. Mm-hmm. But when I get there to the pharmacy, the pharmacist is like, yeah, that coupon doesn't work. It's going to be a couple hundred dollars. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm, so then he's like, but if we um, get a specific dosage that you need from your medical doctor, then your insurance will likely pay for it. And we can submit that. So, so called you know, called my cousin back and got that all squared away and ended up only being like, only being like $95 for just one vial of insulin. Um, But better than several hundred dollars. For sure. So I know we're going to eventually, and we're not going to dive into it at all right now about pharmaceutical companies, insurances, um, pricing of insulin. And I know we're going to eventually talk about these things. Um, but just kind of recapture, you were focused on coaching and focused on doing, picking up some furniture from your home, mm-hmm. right? You're, and you had a brain fart because you were a human being, Yep. right? And so you were driving across the country and it didn't really register with just one accident, like of just, oh, I forgot to grab that and put it in my bag. Mm-hmm. But because you need insulin, you then had to pay, you know, like 90 something bucks or yeah. what could have been a couple hundred bucks. And, or if not, and if you didn't have that money or if you didn't have the quick ability to contact a pharmacist and a medical doctor, that was your medical doc. I mean, 
have been a yeah. real tricky situation. It would have been really tough if I, you know, didn't have a cousin who was a pharmacist and um, her husband being an MD. And then on top of the financial burdens, like the time of figuring this out and making the yeah. calls, like I yeah, mean, that exactly. takes, takes time and stress just figuring out like, what the heck am I going to do right now? Yep. So, wow. Well, I'm glad you got it all squared away. Yeah. Yeah. It was initially kind of scary because sure. I was like, oh crap, what am I going to do? And then, yeah, just had to work through it. Mm, I've been, I've definitely been in situations like that too, where I forget my insulin or I run out of insulin. I didn't think I would. And it's like, uh Oh, yep. <laughs> how am I going to figure this out? Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I never forget to when I'm going on a trip to mm. pack my insulin and all my supplies because I always hear my mom when I'm packing. I always hear my mom's <laughs> voice in my head. Did you pack your insulin? Did you pack your supplies? <laughs> this time it didn't happen though. <laughs> That's funny. Um, oh man. So, um, so your beta cells were bursting at that point too. Oh yeah. But um, we were kind of wanted to take this episode and, and just be more personable. And obviously, you know, those were some stories that I think you and I could have just kept ranting about that. We <laughs> oh, could have yeah. just kept talking about those things, um, you know, for at least another 30 minutes. But I think uh, what's always impactful to a diabetic, especially type one, but as well as type two is, you know, how like your diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we wanted to kind of take the opportunity uh, just to tell any listeners a little bit about ourselves and, you know, how we were diagnosed as, as type one diabetics. So when on June 23rd, 2007 is uh, when I was diagnosed, uh, you know, I'll never forget that date. And I have no prior history or family history of, of diabetes in my family whatsoever. And at the time, so I was, this was the summer for me between seventh and eighth grade. And throughout this summer, I was losing a lot of weight, which I thought was awesome because I was a wrestler. Yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, cool. Like I get to go to a lower weight class. Like that's always the goal. Like, yeah. it's awesome. So I wasn't thinking about like losing weight without really trying. And, you know, I was a, a young kid, so my parents didn't think about it. And we've talked about how, you know, when you're kind of slipping into diabetic ketoacidosis is you're drinking a lot of water and then you're urinating a lot. So to an untrained eye, that makes sense. You're going to the bathroom a lot because you're drinking a lot. Yep. Stop drinking and you'll stop going to the bathroom. And yeah. it's kind of impossible when you're in diabetic ketoacidosis <laughs> to stop doing those things. And when I was diagnosed, I was actually, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. And at the time this summer, I was actually at a family friend's lake house in Michigan. And so, but I was kind of getting sick beforehand. And it was actually funny, like the week prior, uh, my friend's mom actually told me, was like, maybe you're a diabetic, like you should make an appointment and yeah. like, get it checked out. I was like, I'm sure, this is kind of weird. I'm tired of going to the bathroom all the time. Like, uh-huh. okay, I'll, I'll make an appointment. <laughs> and then uh made the appointment a little too late apparently um so i was at my friend's uh lake house in, in michigan and having a good old time but as much a good old time as i could because i was just so fatigued and you know the trip kind of started off you know decent and and uh I, the fatigue just kept setting in more and more and i was kept restless and i would just be uncomfortable throughout the, the night or the, you know, the nights that I was there for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like the day before I like, 
lost all my energy. Like we went on this giant hike up this giant hill. And even then I was like skidding bones. I was climbing up this hill and like doing all this extra stuff. I was actually water skiing too. And I got up on the water skis for the very first time. Like I never water skied before and I was able to get up. Oh, wow. Try. I've never water skied since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so I'm not, my family's not even here. I'm with family friends, you know, several hours away. And that night, like I was just so uncomfortable. Uh, I was having these like weird sleeping feelings and I was like pacing back and forth. I felt like I, I just, it was so warm and so cold. I like was trying to take bathtubs at like two in the morning. Um, it was a very weird experience. And then the day I lost all my energy, I just like laid down and on a couch and I was just like in pain. I threw wow. up, I think once. And I was just sleeping throughout this like whole day. And I would try to like, and try to get me to go out like on the boat as they would like go and hang out on the boat. And I would just sleep on the boat and, you know, wow. I would go back inside and I would just sleep on the couch. And I have this very vivid image in my brain of what it felt like. And I, I don't know why, maybe because we were watching horror movies at the time, but it felt like I had this image of the skull biting my intestines. Yeah. And, but like I had this like, weird intestinal pain i just couldn't pinpoint yeah um, and i was just in i was just in pain and yeah that sounds pretty intense like my my like symptoms leading up to going to the hospital weren't nearly that intense mm -hmm. so to kind of put it in reference since i was wrestling right that last season i was wrestling at 103 pounds so big whopping strong 103 pounds <laughs> uh, but i was in seventh grade whatever and you know, when I was diagnosed, I was like 69. Oh. So like my body was just eating everything wow. until I couldn't eat anything. So I'm sleeping and, you know, I think we were leaving like 48 hours. We were about to drive back and I was in so much pain. Clearly like the parents were worried about me. Like my friend's parents were worried about me. They're like, Garrett, you should get your, like, you need to go to the hospital. You need to get your parents to come here and take you home. So yeah. we're leaving like soon. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like we're, I can last a little bit longer. <laughs> and, and luckily my, my friend ended up calling my parents while I was like passed out and said, we, we don't know what's going on with Garrett, but you got to get here and pick him up. And so my parents drove, I think I can't remember if it was six or eight hours or whatever, but they came wow. and picked me up and I was just doing like, I was in bad shape. So like, do you need anything? Like, you know, we're really worried about you. I was like, pineapple. <laughs> I had a weird craving for pineapple and uh, it was more or less on my deathbed not to be dramatic but I mean I was dying oh yeah and, for sure but so I know f pineapple is one of my favorite fruit and because I will ask for it on my deathbed um, <laughs> but anyway anyways um, so my parents picked me up and I barely remember the drive back home and when they got me home like my lips were turning blue like cyanosis and like they weren't sure what to do and eventually called the ambulance and my blood sugar was only like, and I say only cause I've heard of people being diagnosed with higher, but it was like 636 wow. was my blood sugar when I got admitted to the hospital and they knew like, maybe he's diabetic. Somebody said, so we don't know. And so they checked it right away. They're like, yep. And they were immediately able to like do the right procedures real fast. Yeah. Now I don't want to screw up your brain at all, but I am okay. here. Okay. Um, so your number, you said where you're six, what was it? 36, 636. 
So since then, have you ever been higher? Have I been higher? I don't think I've been higher. I've been so high where my blood sugar meter says too high. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely said that. I don't think I've passed 636. I've definitely been in the 400s, 500s without being hospitalized. Yeah. I don't think I've been in the 600s. I don't, I don't even think 500s. I've never been in the 400s. Maybe I have been in the 500s. Um, oh, yeah. That, you were in the 500s for the squat story. Was I? I yeah. don't even remember anymore. Yeah, it was like 540, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I have been in the 500s. I don't think I've been higher since then. Um, and then, so when I was hospitalized, you know, the ER doctor told my parents and like family friends that came and saw me that like, you know, if my friend waited to call, and my parents waited to take me just another five hours, I wouldn't have made it. Wow. Like I was five yeah, th- hours away. Those symptoms that you're describing sound pretty severe. Like I was like skin and bones, cyanosis all over, not just my lips. Um, my parents said I looked like a, like a ghost. Yeah. Like a hollow human being. Yeah. Um, Cause when you said six, what were you said? You were 69 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, my normal body said, weight was 103. When you, when you said that, it didn't register in my brain. I thought you were talking like blood sugar or something. No. And, he, and then it finally caught up with me. I'm like, holy crap, he lost like 40 pounds. Yeah, 30 to 40 pounds is what I lost. Wow. In, in the months leading up to my diagnosis yeah. of being in type 1. Um, and so then I was in the ICU and I woke up with con- like, and they're like, hey, welcome back. You're diabetic. And I was like, oh. Wow. Okay. And so June 23rd is when I got that news. and. Um, and been celebrating that diversity ever since. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of like the, the majority story of me being diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, it's very kind of similar to yours, um, where I was a wrestler too at the time and we were around the same age. I think, um, I was 12 years old and it was like, November of 2006. I don't remember the exact date. My, my parents are moving, so we were going through our old stuff. And she actually yeah. has the wristband from the hospital when I was diagnosed. Wow. So I really? finally got to see what the actual date was, but now I can't remember it again. But. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's almost kind of weird. I, I don't think I would want to keep that. Yeah. I ended up keeping it because I'm like, uh, it's a pivotal moment in my oh, life. Absolutely. No, I, I understand why you would. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, like I said, I was a wrestler and this was happening to me through wrestling season. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, it was nice losing weight and not really having to try. Yeah. At the same time. Were you a heavyweight at this point? No, no, I was like growing up, I was a bit of a pudgy kid Mm -hmm. and, but like seventh, eighth and ninth is kind of when I started leaning out. So at this point, I kind of started to lean out a little bit because I was hitting a little bit of a growth spurt. Sure. And so that made it like okay in people's heads that I was losing weight. And it also, the fact that we were in the middle of wrestling season and wrestling practice is pretty tough. So the fact that I'm losing weight isn't a big surprise. Right. And um, however, though, one of the biggest things looking back on it, like after I was diagnosed and and then looking back, it made more sense because at the time I was lifting at home. Like we had a home 
mini gym um, mm. that me and my dad were lifting together. Sure. And I was actually, you know, for a period of time, I was going up in weight on all, you know, all my lifts. And then I started going backwards. Mm. And my lift, lifting numbers were going down. And it was kind of baffling both of us. Uh, and so, but then obviously after I was diagnosed, it's like, oh, that makes total sense. Because sure. my body was breaking down the protein in my muscles mm-hmm. to help get me more sugar because I wasn't getting the sugar into my cells. Right. So let's kind of, if you don't mind me interrupt, I don't want to mess up your brain. Yeah. Maybe we should take this opportunity to explain diabetic ketoacidosis um, because that's kind of, that's part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know I, we've gotten uh, one, we've only gotten a few listener questions, but uh, uh, one of them was to kind of explain diabetic ketoacidosis. Okay. Um, yeah. So diabetic ketoacidosis is different than acidosis. So when you're in diabetic ketoacidosis, you're not getting insulin at all, or for whatever reason, it's not working and your blood sugar continues to rise, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the first problem in DKA is how it's abbreviated. And as your blood sugar rises in DKA, you are also then your cells, all your cells know is that they're not getting glucose. Yep. They don't know why, they just know they're not getting it. Yep. So then even that your blood sugar is high, your body is going to go into starvation mode, even that there's plenty of glucose in the blood, but there's no insulin to put it inside those tissues that need it. Right? Yep. So it's going to start breaking down fat and protein to try to metabolize and try to create glucose so it can go in the cell. Mm-hmm. And so as it's doing that, not only is it continuing to raise your blood sugar, because not only is it high because you don't have insulin, you don't know that it's high because that's why you're in diabetic ketoacidosis. So you probably are continuing to eat and drink sodas and like yeah. Mountain and whatever. So you have continuous input. Yeah, because you're craving sugar because your cells are screaming for it. So, hey, sugar sounds good. So let's have some more sugar. Perfect. Exactly. Uh, and so then on top of those things, then your body starts to break down the fat and the tri- most of the triglyceride part because fatty acids can't turn to glucose. But the triglyceride or the glycerol backbone and takes the protein and turns those amino acids into glucose as well and mm-hmm. puts that into the blood to go back into the cell. But it can't get in the cell because there's no insulin to begin with. Yep. And then on top of that issue, then you're starting to throw off your acid-base balance. Yep. And so now your pH is slowly changing. And so you're becoming more acidic inside your blood, which is your body tightly regulates the acidity of your body. And so that starts to get thrown off. And then on top of that, then you start damaging your kidneys. Cause then, and then you, your stomach is just doesn't want to digest anything because it has enough glucose, but it can't go anywhere, yep. you know? So that's why I ended up throwing up was cause I had just so much glucose in me. And I just, I wasn't digesting anything because I didn't have insulin. Because actually when you have no insulin, you shut off part of the ejection of um, enzymes into your stomach and into your small intestine. Um, So you're not digesting anything. So you can throw up. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why that's a common symptom too. So as your blood sugar rises, your cells don't know what's going on. So it continues to make glucose and continues to rise and rise and rise until eventually you have no more nutrients and your brain just fries and, you know, you pass on. So that's why it's important to recognize those symptoms so you can be prevent that. And it's a very serious condition. 
Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of a little more about DKA. Do you have anything else to add about DKA? Yeah, so I just wanted to add about the ketones. So the ketones are what um, make you get into that acidosis state. So you get into a lower pH. And for you know basic biology, you have a very narrow range of where your pH in your body needs to be. And so when you start producing a lot of ketone bodies, um, those ketone bodies lower your pH. And if it gets too low, um, it becomes very destructive. And so that's why your body gets into this state of trying to purge out all of this excess glucose, this excess ketones, because it's changing the pH and um, these things can be very destructive. So that's why we see the um, vomiting because they're trying to purge all those things and the increased urination because it's trying to flush all these things out. Um, so that's why you have the symptoms that you have when your blood sugar is that high um, and it's uncontrolled like that. And the urination can be really annoying. I remember because I was in like junior high, right? And so I would have sleepovers with my friends. Oh, and, yeah. I rem- and I remember just like having friends come over and sleep over at my house and we'd be playing video games and we drink like I would just like have to leave every two minutes and just like urge and run up to go to the bathroom. Yep. Um, I remember actually I was at Cedar Point, which is a roller coaster park. Oh yeah. During this time, and for anybody who's been there, they have a really large, fast roller coaster called the Dragster, and it's like three hour wait. Oh gosh. And I was like, that's right the up. worst for a diabetic. <laughs> oh my. And I didn't know, right. I was in DKA at this point. Yeah. And I was like literally maybe like three cars, like three more like cycles. And then I was, I was up there. Like I waited like two and a half plus hours. Yeah. And I could not hold it anymore. And I was like, and I was like, please, like, can I just go to the bathroom, come back? And they just wouldn't let me be like, Oh, no way. You're gone. So I didn't get to go on it. Oh that my gosh. Well, I was, I didn't know how to piss my pants in front of everybody, in front of all these strangers. So yeah, it can, that urination symptom and DKA can be pretty, pretty dramatic. Um, yeah, that was, that's probably one of the first signs for most diabetics. I know it was for me and I have a kind of an extreme story like that too. Mm-hmm. And so like we were going on, it was like a school event type thing like the music program was going to go see the blue man group um Mm. in in omaha which was like three hours away Mm. and so at that time i was going to the bathroom a lot already and having to go very frequently Mm -hmm. and we were going to be stopping i can't remember how far away the stop was but i was holding it for a long time and there was, it was like a, it was a nice bus and it had a bathroom in the back. Oh yeah. However, it was locked and we weren't oh. supposed to use it because apparently yep. we weren't responsible enough to use the bathroom there. Dude. So <laughs> I went back there to check thinking that I could. So like, you know, when you finally realize that you can go to the bathroom, all of a sudden like, boom, it's like, all right, it's coming. Floodgates. Yeah. Literally. And so now realizing I couldn't go in there. It was even worse. And I was holding it, holding it, holding it. And we finally got to the stop that we were going to. And we were actually picking up a few more kids there. But we were stopping at a gas station. And the teacher stands up and like, 
we're pulling in and I'm like getting in the aisle so that I can run and get off the bus because it's so bad. Mm-hmm. And the teacher stands up to make an announcement. And so I'm like, all right, I'll wait. And so she just keeps talking though. She's like talking, 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 like for like what seems like an hour. Um, right. in reality, it probably wasn't that long, but I'm like, I'm like, I'm not yelling or like saying it loudly, but I'm like, like stop talking so I can go to the bathroom. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, so she, she finally does. And I'm like, dude, I am about to burst. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like sprinting off of the bus mm-hmm. and like, holding my pants as tightly as possible as I'm running and I somehow make it to the bathroom. Um, but that was like the worst bathroom situation I've ever been in. That actually reminds me, I totally forgot until this moment. I, on that trip, I have a very similar story. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is before the, the Cedar point excursion. Cause how we got from suburb of Chicago to it's lake house in Michigan was we took an RV and then we stopped, you know, in Ohio for the, the roller coaster part. Yeah. But the RV had a bathroom on, but they didn't like have it set up. Oh yeah. And so I was going to the bathroom like every 15 minutes. And so obviously like I, I'm not even the, um, these adults, like I'm not even their child. Like I'm their, I'm their child's friend. Like, yeah. I mean, we're, we're family friends. Like they know me. Um, and they'll probably like get a kick out of this if they listen to it. But um, we're driving there and because it's like every 15 minutes, they're like, just go and like, we got bottles, right? And so, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm like wobbling in this bathroom on this RV of the highway. And I think at one point, like before we stopped, I filled up two, this might be a little gross and graphic, so we might edit this out. I don't know. Or I apologize. But uh, this is the reality of it. Yep. And I filled up two, two liter bottles of soda. Holy cow. This weird bucket. <laughs> and I filled up the actual like toilet bowl that I just, cause I need more space. Holy <laughs> and cow. I, and I think there was some like spillage there too, which was uncomfortable obviously as well. Yeah. Um, but that like your body's literally trying to flush out the glucose cause it, it's so much. Yeah. Um, and obviously then I'm drinking, like maybe we got, I can't remember if we had two liters or two, two liter bottles because of a soda and I was drinking the soda, but like, yeah. the, I don't know, but I can't remember at this point, but like, I remember that was on the way to the roller coaster part. Like I was just going to the bathroom nonstop. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it was actually, like I said, it was one of the first signs that showed up with me and it was the first sign that my family actually noticed and it was actually my brother at the time my brother's only two years older than me so he would have been like 14 at the time and he would notice like every commercial break you know we were watching tv every commercial break i would go to the bathroom mm-hmm. and come back and he's like what the heck is going on and he had watched a show that somebody had been diagnosed as a diabetic and they were having those types of symptoms. So he was the first one to kind of suggest, Hey, maybe Grady has diabetes. And my, my parents just kind of, you know, shrugged it off and didn't think much of it. Sure. But yeah, he was, he was the first one to kind of recognize it. And yeah, it was like, like I said, every commercial break. So like every five minutes it was, Mm -hmm. I had to go to the bathroom and, but like I said, it was during wrestling season. And so I was losing, you know, losing weight 
and losing weight, even though I was eating probably more than I ever had. Um, Cause like I said, I was craving sugar and all that stuff. Um, but eventually we got to, I got to a point where I was feeling nauseous. And so, so at that point I was like, Oh, I'm just sick. So my mom let me stay home from school um, for a day and for two days. And then on the third day, she's like, all right, we need to go, you know, to the, we need to go to see our family care physician, mm -hmm. see what's going on. And so we, we go in and she pretty much knows right away. She diagnoses me and then we, you know, then they send us to the hospital. But, um, you know, that moment where she says, like, I think you're type one, like you're, you're a diabetic. Um, it's a very interesting moment. I've analyzed that in my head um, several different ways because at the moment, I I think I broke down and started crying. And I think about why why that is that I did that I started crying because I really didn't feel like it was a big huge change. I think I reacted that way because I could see like the the struggle in her face because she was actually a family friend. Her her son was one of my good friends. Um, the physician that diagnosed me. And so like, I, yeah, so like I could see like the, the struggle in her like face and like how much it actually meant. And then like my mom, I think was crying too. And so I think that's what it was like, Oh crap, this is kind of serious. I don't know if you had a similar experience at all or not. I, you know, I can't really remember who specifically told me, that I was type one diabetic. I don't remember that moment because I was such an, um, I mean, I was, I was, I was going, I was, I was about to sleep with the fishes. Right. So like, I'm not sure when I like, I knew I eventually woke up and like, whatever. Um, but I really didn't get like my conscious back till a little bit afterwards. Maybe it was because of the shock factor, but because I already made an appointment to like, maybe I'm diabetic. Maybe that's why I also wasn't a big shock. No, yeah. Yeah. But so I can't remember if it was the doctor his last name started with Z or something. I can't remember. Anyways, um, I can't remember if it was a doctor. Well, I assume it would be the doctor. I don't see, I don't think the nurses are allowed to say like yeah. the first ones to tell you that. Um, but everyone obviously already in the room, like my family members already knew. They already told them like, as I was like still in my coma or whatever. And, um, and when I eventually came to, I do remember, I do remember talking with the nurse afterwards. And I think this was, you know, a little after a little bit of talking, them telling me they they wheel in the because this is 2007, so they still have giant TVs on carts <laughs> that they wheel in everywhere, right? And so they wheel in this TV with this video explaining and using the whole lock and key mechanism or whatever. And um, eventually, the nurse is like, "So how are you dealing with all this?" And you know, I think. I was a little bit of shock. Like I don't, didn't know how to process it. I just, to me, it was just like something else was going on. And so I remember I was a late bloomer and I think at this, I've said on the podcast before, but I was like, well, she asked me how I'm doing. I'm like, well, you know, I'm already going through puberty. Not really. Cause I probably didn't even have like a hair on my chin. <laughs> I'd like to think I was going through puberty, but I was like, I was, I'm going through puberty anyways. Like I'm already changing. Might as well change one more way. Yeah. And that was literally my attitude. Um, That's and, good. 
and that's just kind of my attitude on, on life a lot of times. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is part of, um, just part of my DNA, but I mean, I think the first time that I cried about it was eventually when I was released in the hospital from the hospital, I was at my house and I remember my parents waking me up at like 6am in the summertime as like, you know, a 12 year old or whatever to check my blood sugar. And I was just remember being so upset. I'm like, mom, am I never going to be able to sleep in again? Yeah. Like, you know, just like thinking like, is this really going to like take over my whole life that I have to wake up to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe that was the first time I cried, but uh, it was definitely, you know, for a, a preteen or a teenager or someone younger, it's, it's almost, it's harder. Like if you're younger than that, you really don't get it. Yeah. And all you know is that you have needles getting poked around. Like I watch like videos of like, of kids being diagnosed and how hard it is for the kid and like the feeling the parents have and the sadness the parents have for like wanting to protect their child and they are protecting their child yeah. and doing what's right. But all the child knows is they're in pain and they don't feel comfortable. Yeah. They, they keep getting looking, poked and stabbed and, and they, and they're looking to the parents to help them and stop them mm-hmm. and they feel betrayed. You know, yeah. like I've literally watched these videos and I'm just like, it breaks my heart. Um, so it's really even, it's harder when you're younger um, in that aspect, but then it's hard when you're older too, because then you have all the habits, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's like, you've lived this whole life and now it's really abruptly changed. So um, I think if there was a sweet spot to be diagnosed with type one, I think, you know, right before teenage years, um, personally, I think that is a sweet spot to be diagnosed, but yeah, yeah, I get, I get asked fairly frequently, like, you know, Grady, what, what would be the ideal age? If you had to choose when you were diagnosed, what, what would you choose? And I was like, I would always say when I was diagnosed is when I would want to be diagnosed. Like mm-hmm. in that area where, you know, middle school area where you're self-aware enough to know, you know, it's important to do all, you know, check your blood sugar and, and stay on top of everything. But then also you don't have those habits um, that you can develop. Like, you know, getting into high school, you know, you start getting exposed to a lot of different things. And um, mm-hmm. some of those are not good things like alcohol and drugs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And if you're already getting into those types of things, those things make controlling your blood sugar harder. And oh at the God, same yeah. time, you have most high schoolers have a bad attitude and they don't want to listen to authority. And so therefore, yep. they may not want to check their blood sugar because, you know, they are in some ways rebelling even though it's, it's hurting themselves more than anything. Um, but it, that's just how teenagers think. Totally. I definitely did rebel. Like I was so ticked off whenever my parents like tried to help me in my teenage years. Cause I was like, this is me. Like I got this. Like, like I deal with, like I think about this deal with it every day, like back off. Like, yeah, you know, it was very, and I still kind of give that way. And I think you and I do talk about this. Like if I'm checking my blood sugar, actually on my meter. I'm like, if somebody's like trying to peek over, I'm like, get the hell out of here. Like, yeah. Don't look at my number. Like if yep. I want to tell you my number. I'll tell you. God, that's the worst. Like that, that really, that's a really a burst my beta cells moment right there. It's like, right. so I'm checking my butcher and somebody's trying to look and see what it is, especially mm-hmm. when I know it's probably not going to be a good one. Yeah. And, and like either, even if they're like a medical background, whether that's in chiropractic mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and they know a little bit about what diabetes is and they see a number like even if it's a a relatively good number like 
say 150. It's not the best number in the world, but hey, I'll take that. Yeah. And when they see that, they're like, oh my gosh, that's really high. And, or, you know, somebody who doesn't know about diabetes and they say, well, is that a good number? Or like, what are you shooting for? And I say, well, you know, shooting for around 100. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really high then. I'm like, no. And then it's like that whole conversation. It's like, yeah. I don't want to have that conversation. Totally. Yeah, I think, I, I bet you a lot of diabetics feel that way too. Um, maybe they don't, I don't know. But I, I know I definitely feel that way. And it's nothing against them. Like, I don't take it personally. And I don't have anything against anybody wanting to know. Um, but it's just such a like, that's why like eventually Grady, like when I didn't realize how beneficial it was to have a community of other people that are type one diabetic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you and I moved in with each other. I never yeah. went to any diabetes camps or anything like that. Yeah, neither did I. I definitely, when I was in junior, well, it wasn't until like high school, I found out about diabetes camps and I was like, I'm 15 years old. Why would I go to a camp filled with other diabetics? Like, yeah. that doesn't seem. Yeah, that was kind of exactly my mindset. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to. It was almost like, I think for me, it was almost like I just didn't want to, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. Like, I didn't want to just like label, like put the label on myself. Like, I am a type 1 diabetic and that's who I am, you know, one, you know, one and only. That's what I am because that's, I feel like what was my mindset is like people who go there are type one diabetic. It's not like I was denying I I wasn't type one diabetic. It's Mm -hmm. like, I want to just be a normal kid because I can be a normal kid with type one diabetes. I don't want to be a type one diabetes kid. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think a lot of people struggle with that identity and just people struggle with identity period. Mm-hmm. And I think there's as a diabetic, you know, we go through that struggle all the time. Like, am I Garrett Pano, a diabetic or am I, you know, or my a diabetic get Garrett Pano? Like, am I somebody who has diabetes or am I a diabetic? Yeah. Right. And I think people struggle and that could not just be about diabetes, but that could be about, anything you know Mm. that could be about your job you know that could be um am i a salesman or am i bob the builder who does sales i don't know why i thought bob the builder (laughs) (laughs) or that could be about another health issue or that could be about literally anything when it comes to identity and i and i do think it can be one could be better than the other but in reality whatever you resonate with is okay. But I do think there's a right way to resonate with that answer. I think there's a wrong way to choose an answer as well. So I think it all has to do with what your motivating factor is. Are, do you not want to identify as a diabetic because you are in denial? Am I running away from this fact that I have diabetes in my life? And so I refuse to identify as that because I do not accept the responsibility and I do not even want the fact that I'm a diabetic part of my life. Yeah. Cause that can be very destructive, not only mentally, but then physically. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have all those highs and lows and figuring out you don't care about it and all those other things in terms of managing your diabetes. So that, I think that would be a, a, 
not the best reason to say I am Garrett Pano who has diabetes. I think that is a wrong way to choose that way. Mm-hmm. In a similar fashion, saying I'm Garrett Pano, a diabetic, I think there's a wrong way to say that again because you feel so you feel like that controls your life so much. You feel like that has to be. There's no other option. Yeah. It's like this surrendering because you have no empowerment. It's like there's no other option. I feel trapped. And so I'm going to say, you know, I am a diabetic or like I feel trapped in my profession. And, you know, like I like I'm I'm an engineer or I'm, you know, whatever it is Mm -hmm. like that's just my identity. And I have not found who I am besides that. And I think that's a negative way of choosing that way of going about it. too. Yeah, definitely. Because it's very binding and very um, what I want to say, like imprisoning. Yes, because you're just trapped versus living life but then also just you know part of life is managing your diabetes Um, but that's not your whole life even though you know at times it does but um yeah i think the mindset is so huge in just managing diabetes and being successful long term in managing diabetes and i would say like I want to ask you this question because I have my okay. own answer, but okay. off the script, off the script, <laughs> would you, if you could choose, Oh man, I know where this is going. Go on. Would you take back? Like if you could choose to be not diabetic anymore and take it all back, would you do it? Oh man, that's such a hard question. <sighs> Cause you're not the first person to ask me that. I truly do want to say I wouldn't take it back because at this moment I do identify not in the ways I mentioned, but I do identify as I'm Garapano. I'm a diabetic because it's empowered me. Mm-hmm. It's given me so much strength. I don't think I would be the person I am today and the ability to overcome obstacles if it weren't for my diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, but it's been such a crucial part of my life that It'd be hard to imagine. I think it's what, so 2007, it's 2020. It'll be almost 14 years. You know, it'll be 14 years this June. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to imagine 14 years of my life not living like the way I've lived. Yeah. And that, so, especially because recently I don't feel trapped by it. Um, but then again, you know, if, <laughs> if, um, so I, if the question was different, it was like, Garrett, if you could just like do this one thing and no longer have diabetes, like right now. From here on, yeah. Yeah, from here on, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think I would take, I don't think I would change how I've lived my life, um, at least at this moment. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I share a very similar answer. If I, like you said, if from this point on, I could get rid of my diabetes, oh, yeah, I would do it. Um, however, I would never take back being diabetic because Mm -hmm. like you said it shaped my whole life and i believe it shaped my life for the better and to a significant degree i i would not be the person i am today i mean not even close because like looking at my habits going into that yes i was a young kid but i still have you know those psychologic eating problems like Mm -hmm. I fight myself all the time but having that 
I don't know if I want to say excuse to fall back on, you know, my diabetes to always choose the healthy choice, I think has shaped my life for the long term. Like each decision built up over a long period of time has got me to where I am. And I think it's way healthier than what I would have been had I not had a reason why I should choose the healthier choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I, that come and that I think in not only thinking about the foods, but then I think from a bigger aspect, um, I think the more glaring aspects of why people think I'm a robot, like the <laughs> the not drinking ever or not doing any drugs or all those things is was always like I had other reasons, but I think the foundational reason was my diabetes. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to deal with all the things that come along with de- dealing with my blood sugar and drinking and mm-hmm. the danger that comes with that. Absolutely. Uh, I, had, I had heard enough horror stories and it really wasn't that many. It was like one or two horror stories of people not waking up after drinking. And I'm like, that's enough for me. I don't, I don't want that to happen. Like, I don't want my mom to find me and, you know, I'm not going to wake up. I don't, and I don't want my life to end that way. So, yeah. um, that was something that always kept me on the line and are on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, I would never take that back for anything. Yeah. I think, you know, just, it is definitely weird because I, I'm not as, um, pure hearted <laughs> um, as you as growing up and making those decisions. Um, and it's definitely a weird feeling. Like for example, you know, talking about alcohol, it's a weird feeling being drunk or tipsy and having low blood sugar. Yeah. I bet. Like low blood sugar feels weird by itself. Right. Yeah. But it's like, luckily I wasn't, you know, when I've been low and drinking, I'm not like drunk. I'm end up being like somewhere before then and I'm able to manage it. But, um, you know, a lot of type ones end up passing away while drinking because the mismanagement of insulin for the most part, mm-hmm. um, you know, alcohol can lower your blood sugar, but it's such a, in, like, in such a non-predictable way that it's really hard to like, you know, do it right. Um, so, but thinking about your question again, if it was reframed differently, if, it was like moving forward, if I could do just this one thing and not be diabetic, but it was only me, like if only like a select few had that opportunity, I don't think I would take it. I would let somebody else take it. Yeah. Um, and just because it's, like I said, it's given me so much strength and I feel like I can manage it and I'd rather have it and be a role model for others, not saying I'm a perfect role model now because I'm not, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd rather take that burden on myself so that way I can help others in that same situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's an interesting way of, of turning that question. Um, cause initially once you said that question, I'm like, heck yeah, I'd take it. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, thinking about it, like I don't feel trapped by my diabetes and right. I know there's a lot of diabetics out there that do feel and they feel right. Um, such, so such negative feelings toward their diabetes. Whereas Mm -hmm. me, I feel actually probably more positive feelings about my diabetes than Mm -hmm. any. Um, and because of those reasons that I said, and because it helps me stay on the, you know, straight and narrow, 
And at the same time, diabetes gives me a huge insight to how my body's functioning. Mm -hmm. And I'm so much more in tune with my body because of my diabetes and because Mm -hmm. I track all that data. So I can see, hey, am I really stressed out because of this? Maybe I need to work on something to help reduce that stress or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever it is, I can say something's not right. So I need to figure something something out because uh, my blood sugar is being affected. So um, it gives me a good gauge on that. And like I said, I don't feel trapped by it. So I feel like I can handle it very well. And so with somebody who doesn't feel that way and feels very trapped, I'd much rather have them, you know, have that burden lifted off of them because I don't feel like it's so much of a burden. Right. And, you know, I think it is possible for anyone, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're type one, you're type two, you know, you have gestational diabetes, you know, and so that's emotional roller coaster as in itself. You know, you have dysglycemia, whatever it is that you're afraid you might be pre-diabetic, you know, that all being said, you don't, you can definitely, it's totally in your hands and which is very powerful. And you definitely have the ability to run towards the answer. Am I diabetic or am I so-and-so who has diabetes? And you definitely can run in a positive direction and make and feel free from from this condition or any condition mm-hmm. and it takes work and takes effort but um you don't have to feel trapped and i think you know grady you and i wouldn't be doing this podcast you know we wouldn't yep. i know i wouldn't be in the health field if i wasn't diabetic yeah. like i <laughs> going through classes and, and health classes and you know biochemistry physiology i think you did the same thing too like i would always think about glucose and i would think about my blood sugar and like how it would react and i would have yeah. to like unlearn how I initially thought about it because I thought about it in the context of, of diet, type 1 diabetes and it was like, yeah. oh wait, majority of people, like that's not how the body works normally, we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyways, you don't have to feel trapped by it. And um, you know, if you are looking for help, like reach out to somebody, look, reach out to doctor, or nurse, a friend, um, you know, we would love to, Great and I would love to also help anybody, like I mean, do whatever you can. If you, you don't have to go through it alone. Cause even like when Grady and I were teenagers and like rebelling a little bit, like, you know, I now ask for help so freely and that's how I get better. And that's how I learn more. Um, and I feel like you're the same way too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So if you are, you know, a stubborn teenager or just somebody who is stubborn in general, saying that being a stubborn person myself, Um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) don't be afraid to reach out for help and don't be afraid to just accept help because, um, I'm definitely one of those people where I will tend to reject help, even though it's, you know, good hearted people that are trying to just help me. Like, you know, being a teenager and by that time, like in high school, I was already kind of getting everything figured out with how to dose my insulin with carbohydrates and all this stuff. So I was pretty much taking care of everything myself and my parents didn't have to do too much. Um, you know, whereas when you're really young or just learning, your parents are a big help. They're trying to help you calculate Mm -hmm. and trying to figure things out. And so in that transition period, I'm getting into that teenage years and they're kind of falling behind as far as knowledge of diabetes, uh, just because I'm taking over. 
And so, but they're still trying to help here and there. And so at some, at certain points, you're a teenager, you get frustrated because your parents are trying to tell you what to do, even though you think you know what you're doing is better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in some cases that may be true because you are taking control of your diabetes, but in other places, I mean, you still need to listen to those people who are, who are trying to help. And right. um, not only because they are trying to help and it may help, but also the fact that they're trying to help you means that they love you and they care for you. Um, mm-hmm. So don't, don't get too emotional um, about, uh, you know, mad about people trying to help you. They're just trying to help. Yeah, definitely, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. Um, if anything, it's a sign of strength. You know, mm-hmm. being able to put your ego aside and being able to say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. And if you can help in any way, you know, that'd be appreciative. Or like, I just need a ear to, to hear me vent. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the benefits that, you know, living with you these past couple of years, Grady, I could come home like, oh, my goodness, my, my pump did this or, yep. or something like that. Yeah, that level of understanding, because like. I would come home when I live with my parents and yeah. I'll vent, try to vent a little bit, but it's just like they, and they are there for you, but there's mm-hmm. just not that level of connection to where they actually understand what you're going through. Whereas mm-hmm. with another diabetic, it's like, Oh yeah, that happened the other day to me too. Mm-hmm. But, he, but even if it is someone who's not diabetic, like still venting to them still helps. Right. Yep. Um, it does. And, and a lot of them, if they do care about you, they still want you to vent to them because they want to, they feel like probably that's the only way they can help you, you know, mm. especially if you are reserved about it. like, you know, don't ask me about it. Don't ask me about my carbs. Like, yeah. you know, um, so asking for help is, is always important and always reframing. Like, am I running towards something or am I running away from it? Am I saying I'm a diabetic or am I X, Y, Z who has diabetes? And is that fueled by fear or is that fueled by empowerment? And I think always keeping that in your mindset, uh, I think is really important. But I think you and I can continue to ramble about this forever. Yeah, all, night, all night long. <laughs> right. Um, so I think we'll end it there. Um, you know, this episode about talking about our diagnosis. Did you end up, so you were diagnosed in November. I meant to ask this a while ago. Did you, how, how was that wrestling season for you? Did you? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Post-diagnosis. Maybe we could talk about that later, post-diagnosis. Yeah, like leading up to the diagnosis, I was not wrestling very well because I was just like so weak and right. broken down. Um, but then after, I can't remember. I can't really remember. We were, well, I think it was like towards the end of middle school seasons. So I would add more tournaments after that. But, um, mm-hmm. but one thing I didn't mention was that on the night that I went in, I was actually supposed to go to a wrestling tournament. And so I actually missed that, which was unfortunate. Um, oh, man. But at the same time, our high school had made it to the state championship. So my brother was actually at the state championship game, and I didn't get to go either. And But we watched it on TV in the hospital. Yeah, that's almost like a, you know, remember the Titans type of moment. No, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways, um, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Um, feel free to anybody listening, diabetic or not, uh, feel free to reach out. Um, you know, you're not alone, and we appreciate you listening in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next episode of the Die Buddies podcast. See ya. Peace.
so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on The Die Buddies Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.